gosh, I forgot I even had that in my pack. But that's the craziest part, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. Uh, this is the first podcast uh, in Wyoming. It's actually in my wife's office because the uh, office is not uh, built yet. Uh, it's getting there, the tenant improvement. But uh, but I got the the podcaster set up in the office, and uh, I couldn't couldn't pick a better guest to have as our our first one here here in Wyoming, and that's Kyle Douglas. Uh, Kyle, what what's cracking? Not a whole lot. What's going on with you? <laughs> A lot, actually, um, moving a company <laughs> and all the families and all. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been been crazy, but uh, but yeah, we my wife and I got moved in up here, and then uh, four of the other family, you know, my team moved this week, today, tomorrow, next week, and uh, hopefully we'll be back in business in two to three weeks. But yeah, if I don't die of a panic attack, it'll be all good. That's a lot to handle for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've got a full plate right now. Yeah, I kind of screwed up and overbooked like with seminars and training and uh, a bunch of other stuff that I'm not a very good adult. And if my um, wife or my office wife isn't with me, I'm probably going to screw up my schedule because I just don't I'm not not good enough, smart enough to write everything down. So I thought (laughs) I had a couple weeks off and then I realized I'm supposed to go to the SIG Hunter Games this weekend. Um, So I I screwed up in every way possible, basically. But um, (laughs) So I, I, uh, I, I recently, um, had, uh, Gillingham on the podcast. I've had him on a few times. We had Levi and Justin Hannah on after that. And I, uh, and I had been hounded like probably for the last two, well, since 2020, uh, to get you on the, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, finally I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to get him on, especially after the one with, with Tim, Tim gets all riled up. Well, you're super close with Tim. He gets all riled up talking about foc and punching the trigger or hinge releases and sometimes i bring shit up just to fuck with him so he gets all riled up um which you know that works really well you can get tim wound up quick so one yeah it does take a whole lot yeah what one of the things i wanted to talk to, to you about um you know was was your style the way you have your bow set up the release that was one thing tim i had a ton of people message me because things I've said in the past about form and, and shot execution and, and uh, what release and, you know, so on and so forth. And Tim is generally polar opposite. If uh, you know, the wind's blowing or whatever, somebody says blue, Tim's going to say black or whatever. And uh, he's a very gifted shooter. One of the best shooters to ever have a bow in his hand, but try to get kind of a happy medium. So maybe you and I can circle back around the, the horn and uh, make some, some sense of this. Um, and, and, before I start about for anybody that hasn't heard of Kyle, which I'm sure most everyone has, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, some of the the different tournaments you've won, what you've got going on for work, uh, and then we'll get cracking on uh, everybody learning. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I grew up here in Utah. I uh, was actually going to school for uh, mechanical engineering when I won Vegas the first time. Um, so that kind of changed career paths for me, you know, kind of flip things upside down. Um, so I kind of started doing the, the archery thing more full time. Um, since then it, it's been really good. And, you know, ever since, ever since that first big win in Vegas, it, it kind of has been a snowball effect from there. So we've been doing pretty good. I think I've won that. Well, I won Vegas twice now, uh, indoor nationals three times. 
um, you know, a handful of ASAs, OPA, um, and like the Coda Classic, quite a few tournaments in the last couple of years. It's just been been a really good couple of years. Um, and I've also uh, started my own archery shop um, a couple of years ago that we've kind of got up and running. It's still fairly small-ish, um, but it's growing pretty quickly. So it's been pretty good. Gotcha. And you, you're, um, and this is one thing I, when I called you yesterday about hopping on the podcast, I knew you hunted, uh, but I didn't know you were a killer. Um, and so I started looking at your Instagram page. I was like, well, Christ on a cracker. Uh, you've, you've knocked down some, some shit like, uh, hunting wise. It sounds like you are probably, if you had to make a choice, you might become a professional hunter rather than a professional archer and a hunter. Um, talk a little bit about the hunting <laughs> side of things. Yeah, I, I grew up hunting, and that's like you know my biggest passion in life. If if I could hunt all year long, I'd put the target bows away right now and never pick one up ever again. But archery is a pretty good substitute when we can't hunt all year. So, but yeah, I mean, I I love. It. I usually try and get you know a handful of tags every year. Um, we'll hunt Utah every year, and then maybe a couple of the surrounding states. You know, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, Nevada, stuff like that. Just trying to get as many opportunities as we can. Gotcha. And actually you technically oh. can hunt all year. I have found a way. Uh, so if you want any advice, <laughs> no, just, just you can get tired of hunting. I promise. Uh, uh, and I say that I guide and, and hunt, but like physically, uh, by the time whitetail season kicks in, I'm ready to eat a ho-ho and, uh, sleep in a bed and sit in a tree stand. Uh, cause I am, I am beat. But, uh, well, yeah, but... with, uh, I kind of went, you know, we talked yesterday, the opposite direction where I, I, you know, had shot tournaments earlier and then kind of chose to go hunting. Uh, obviously you're very gifted at, uh, at, you know, at both. And so on the, on the tournament side, how much is that, um, yeah, I get that question a lot for guys trying to become, see if I word, make sure I word this correctly. How much commitment, if you have the God-given skill, right? Are you shooting constantly, judging? I mean, you shoot known pro, shooting constantly. I mean, are you, or, or is it something where you just fling a few arrows a day? I mean, to talk a little bit about, you know, that, because obviously somebody with your stats, uh, you got to figure it out. I mean, it really just kind of depends. Um, you know, cause you'll, you'll go in streaks. Like if, if I'm in a point where I'm just shooting awesome, my bow's dialed in, I'm dialed in, um, and everything's just shooting amazing. I don't try and overdo it. You know, I might shoot for an hour or so every day or so. And if I miss a day, it's not all that big a deal. Um, you know, but if I'm working on stuff and trying to really like either dial in a bow or fix some issues that I'm having or something like that, you know, I, I just grind it out and it, it may be an all day thing till my arms feel like they're going to fall off. So I figured it out, you know, I, I really don't like ever showing up to a tournament unprepared. So whatever I got to do to be prepared going into a tournament, I'm going to do it. You know, if that means staying up all night, shooting the night before we leave or tearing down a bow and rebuilding it the day before we, you know, whatever I got to do, I'm, I'm going to do it. Gotcha. And, and, uh, actually how, how old are you now? I'm 25. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's really good stats at, at 25. And that, that is something that I have found, you know, your perspective or thought process or whatever changes, you know, um, younger to older, uh, you know, uh, especially archery. Um, and it, with, with one of the things that I, you know, people had hounded me to get you on here after the Gillingham podcast was the, uh, controlled punch, the controlled shot, the, uh, 
you know, I, I said it on the podcast. I said anybody saying they're getting a surprise shot is is lying. Like they they know what's going off. It's more how your brain works, each person's brain. And so I actually after the Gillingham podcast started to shoot, um, a thumb button was more of controlled. And I think with age, I'm not quite as jumpy. But someone like you, you load up your bow with quite a bit of weight and you're not hammering off the trigger, but you are manually or you are mechanically executing that or however you want to put it. Talk about your bow setup and then your shot. Um, why you you know don't use a hinge, why you use what you use. Uh, mostly so I have to can stop telling people I don't know, stop asking me because that'll solve a lot of problems. Because I did not realize how many people follow you. They're like, well, what's Kyle use? I'm like, I don't know. I, I He shoots a PSE. I've never really talked to him. So if you could like top to bottom, lay that out on your, your target bow and your hunting bow and what you use for both as far as a trigger. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've kind of switched things up over the years, you know, growing up, I always ran kind of the standard setup, you know, like a one to two, one to three ratio weight on your front bar to your back bar and shot a hinge and, um, you know, just all the kind of normal stuff. And I shot it well, and then everybody kind of started going more front weight on their bows. So I, I tried that, and it really worked good for me. And I transitioned. I used to have a pretty, what I would consider maybe like a static or passive shot, where I'd, you know, just kind of relax and wait and watch the pin float and when you just kind of let it fire on its own. And that worked good for me until I got nervous in a tournament. And then my sight picture opens up, and then it doesn't want to fire because I see more movement than my my fingers lock up and my release doesn't fire. And, uh, so I started kind of transitioning into a little bit more of an aggressive shot. Uh, so I started throwing more weight up front. Um, so right now I'm running a 30 on a target bone, run a 30 inch front bar with a 15 out the back. Um, both of them are mounted on the front stabilizer hole though. Um, and then I've got 26 ounces on each bar. Um, and, and I've got a lot of holding weight to be able to hold that up. You know, I'm holding 24 pounds right now. Um, and usually you can, you can get away with more front weight on your bow if you're holding back more weight. It just gives you some, some resistance to pull against. Um, but then when I transitioned over to, to punching, um, you know, I say punching. It's not, to me, it's not a bad thing. Some people call it punching. Some people call it controlled shots, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you're, you're whacking the trigger when the pin's in the middle. Um, but I switched over to that. Uh, um, when would that be? I think 2020 was the first year that, that I started doing that. And the reason I switched is, um, we were shooting a few, you know, kind of local shoots in, in indoor season, um, in Idaho and in, in Utah. And I, I missed the point of both of those, you know, they're a, a two day shoot, you know, 600 gets you in the shoot off and then you get a shoot off from there. And I missed the point of both of them. And it was the same thing, you know, just getting a little bit nervous and got a little bit timid on my release and dipped out the bottom and fired. I just got to think, it's like, you know what? If I could just make my release go off when the pin's in the middle, I'd never miss. And then it all of a sudden clicked. And it's like, well, maybe I should try punching. And I tried <laughs> it one day and it just clicked. I mean, ever since then, it's just worked for me. Um, you know, I, I do a similar thing on the hunting bow. I'm running, um, I don't run as much weight, obviously. You know, I've got a 12 inch out the front, a 10 inch out the back, and I've got like, seven ounces on the front on it and uh, four or five on the back. Um, and I'm not holding quite as much weight on it. I'm on my hunting bow. I'm probably going to hold, um, this year, probably like maybe 22 pounds or so on it. So I'm still holding back a lot, but, um, I don't need it quite as aggressive on that because I don't have as much weight on the front of the bow. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, did you want to go into like releases and bike dress, all that kind of stuff, or just kind of like shop style? On let's uh let's talk about the shop style first, um, just because. So I, I <laughs> this is a tough one to tackle. Um, I've shot a hinge. I got target panic once a long time ago, and went to a hinge and shot it for twenty years for everything. The negative side to a hinge is in the wind. It sucks badly, like horribly bad, because punching off a hinge <laughs> is not great. Mm-hmm. And it was more of fear. And so, you know, recently, um, you know, after that, uh, the podcast with Tim, you know, I messed around between an index finger and a thumb doing what you're talking about, where I'm just squeezing slowly. I'm not hammering the trigger off, but I'm not, uh, you know, quote unquote, exiting, ex- executing back tension. Um, and that's where people, I think, get super confused because... I'll have guys come to me for like lessons or, Hey, I'm squeezing my back muscles. But, and I'm like, you know, I don't really do that shit. Um, I keep tension, but I don't really know my, is my rhomboid engaging to the, you know, fifth parallel. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, I just hold back and, and aim and <laughs> try to execute a good shot with a hinge. I'm definitely, you know, the click goes off and, and I try to relax my hand and that works great on calm days. But the longer you aim, you get peep fading where you kind of drop. I do anyway, drop out the bottom of the peep or I'll start their bobble low. And then I get kind of nervous and muscle up and then things go to shit where with uh, if you can do it without hammering off the trigger. And when I say that, meaning like total Pearl Harbor, right? Like just, you know, breaking the barrel off. Um, it is extremely yeah. effective and accurate. Do you ever get flinchy on the the trigger at all? Um, or are you pretty much, um, is, is target panic like Voldemort, just don't bring it, up to, bring, it, bring its name up and you don't get it? Or do you ever get the jitters a little with it? I mean, yeah, you're always going to fight a little bit of anticipation when you're, when you're punching the trigger, commanding the trigger. Um, it's just a different demon. You know, a back tension shooter fights, you know, dip bangs are not holding you know, the way I look at it, if I'm shooting a hinge and I can't hold it steady enough to stay in the middle for the entire shot, I'm not always going to hit there. You know, you'll get some, we call it like tricking it in, you know, and when the pin's not in the middle and it still goes there. And that happens some, but not every time. You're going to have a few get away from you. I thought that was so called I don't hold steady enough to... corrective bow arming. Like where you fling it in right <laughs> corrective at the end. Bow, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, I, I've just never been one that holds steady enough to do that. So for me, if I can get it to the middle and get it gone, it's a way better, a way better system, but you're going to deal with a little bit of anticipation, you know, and everybody's afraid of it, but if you don't let it control you, it, it won't, you know, everybody thinks target panic, target panic, and they're so scared they're going to get target panic if they start something the button. And if you think you're going to get target panic and you're afraid you're going to get it, you're probably going to get it. Um, you know, but, for me, I, I realized when I first started punching, I realized I could go right back to a hinge and have no issues whatsoever. I've shot one my whole life. I can shoot one well. Um, you know, I, I won't have any issues. So I, I wasn't scared of getting target panic because I figured if I did, I'd just go back to shooting how I've always shot. Um, but, you know, you always do get a little bit of anticipation. For me, what happens is I just kind of start speeding up the shot process is, is kind of what happens. You know, it, instead of like getting the pin in the middle and letting it float for three, four, five, six seconds, kind of sitting there before I shoot, you know, it'll, it'll get there. As soon as it stops in the bam, it's gone. Um, and things just start getting faster and faster. And I just realized that when it starts happening and I, I just focus on, you know, being more patient with the shot, slowing things down and then it goes away again. So it's not too bad to deal with for me at least. 
So, and that's kind of the, one of the things, and the only reason I bring up my, you know, obviously people listen to me, you know, yammer all the time. So they understand what's what I've talked about in your perspective, because my, mine was fear of getting it. And cause I had it once. And then the more I shot an index hunting, you know, I'm hammering the trigger hunting. Like I'd like to tell you, I look as good as I do on video, but something comes in front of me, <laughs> probably hammering the, tr- you know, is it a violent, you know, I hook my index finger way around and I hunt with a hinge a bunch too, but you get my meaning. I'm not, uh, I'm just thinking death. I'm not really thinking about anything else. Right. And so I'm probably squeezing it off pretty good. But like this morning I grabbed my hinge and, uh, you know, I got a target of 50 and about as good, you know, top of a Gatorade lid is about as good as I can shoot at 50 without wind. I mean, that's literally as good as I'll ever shoot and put three arrows in there. Wind picked up a little next one, three inches low, right. And I'm like, mother. I don't get that with a thumb button. I will say that, you know, and, and people will be like, you told me to shoot a hinge. I think a hinge is a great thing for everyone to use, whether it's practice full time, back and forth, keeps you honest. Inevitably you bobble or, or shot anxiety. I don't know, whatever, I'm not a coach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and your misses seem to be more, uh, if you're executing both of them somewhat correctly, the hinge seems to be a, a a bigger miss. Would you have you found that, or that that maybe that's just me? Yeah, it, it is for me too. You know, it seems like if I have one, I kind of depend. You know, if I'm just not holding steady, my groups will open up with the hinge. But if I'm shooting pretty good and I have one get it away, it's usually a dip bang out the bottom, and yeah, it's gonna miss by a little bit because I wasn't meaning to fire it. Um, but you see guys, you know, that get that way with the button too. If they get target panic real bad, they're going to have real big misses, like over the target type stuff. But I think that everybody should learn how to shoot a hinge and learn how to shoot one good. And that kind of opens up all your options because, you know, anybody can touch a trigger off. You don't have to learn that or be taught that. But not everybody knows how to, to wait on a shot to fire and to increase tension with your back. And once you learn how to shoot it that way, you know, you can shoot whatever you want. You can shoot a, a thumb button or index with back tension. You can shoot them with just touching off the trigger. You can shoot a hand. You can, you're a lot more versatile shooter and you can kind of figure out what works best for you. If you know how to shoot all the different types of releases. Yeah. And, and that was when I was talking earlier about like, uh, back tension, I just keep my back engaged or, or, or whatever, but I don't focus. Like I've heard people say, you want to squeeze a beer can between your shoulder blades or what? Yeah, I don't, I don't personally uh, wrap my head into it that much. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm a knuckle dragger, but I keep good tension in my back, but that's the end of it. I don't really, at that point, I'm actually rest, I'm relaxing my hand and my forearm to get that final of a hinge to get it to go off more than I am pulling with my back muscles. Are you doing that or are you using your back muscles? Um, you know, I'm kind of pulling with my back. I, I don't, I tend to hold steadier if I'm using my back instead of like my arm, you know, if I, if I put a lot of the weight on my arm and I'm just kind of pulling straight against the bow, it, it still works, but it doesn't hold quite as steady. My back's a lot stronger than my arm is. So if I can kind of transfer that weight into my shoulder blade, almost feels like I'm kind of tensing up my shoulder blade and kind of moving like my right shoulder blade towards my spine just a little bit. Um, so I actually, you know, I shoot pretty much the same style shot as I would with a hinge. You know, I'm, I'm increasing pressure throughout the whole shot. Um, if I stay static, I tend to leak a little bit of pressure, and that's when you get, like, your pin opens up because you're creeping a little bit, things start wiggling more. So 
I shoot the same shot over the hinge and just continue pulling throughout the shot, but then I just time it when it goes off. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And um, I, I guess I inadvertently copied you and maybe that's because Greg sent me the stabilizer. So I, 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 uh, I, I guess I said, I used to shoot tournaments and I'm going to start, I'm going to go to all of them next year, all the ASAs and maybe the IBOs. And so, uh, I knew Greg, uh, when I was, you know, shooting a lot of tournaments 20 years ago. And so I said, Greg, I'm going to get a Supra RTX, uh, 37, I think. Uh, so he sent me a, 15, uh, 30 out the front, 15 out the back. And he sent V bars cause that's what I'd shot in the past. And so for that portion of it, when you were talking about loading up the back and the front on my end, I just stand there and stack weights on and off until it holds good. There is no like magic pill for, for me. It's just a matter of what that specific bow, uh, needs to hold the best with the release that I'm using. And so I just kind of, throw shit on the bow on the front on the back I kind of have a starting point um you know I'll throw v-bars on I'll throw an offset bar on um until it just holds well how do you do that um start to finish whether it be a hunting bow or a target bow or um is there anything you do that I mean it seems like for you you're kind of the same way you just mess with it yeah I mean that's really the only way to figure out your stabilizer setup it's just to kind of mess with it and try different things and figure out what holds the best. Um, and I kind of have like my general setup that I always kind of go to and then just kind of fine tune it from there on different bows and stuff. But honestly, I haven't messed with stabilizer weights in probably several years. I've run the same exact setup on my weights and stuff. You see a lot of guys, you know, they get to a tournament and they're like, Oh, I'm holding a little bit different today. And they'll add an ounce here and take off an ounce there. And for me, I just realized that my bow didn't change from, yesterday to today so i just go through it whatever i'm doing different and yeah, then go around it that way but amount of caffeine um, might yeah, have really changed the one thing i do what's that the amount of caffeine might have changed <laughs> yeah something's a little different but the the one thing i do that's different than what you hear a lot on like especially on like hunting bows and stuff is i adjust my back bar angle to where my bow holds the steadiest not where my bubble wants to sit level um, you know, so like if somebody were to come pick up my bow, especially my target bow, it's still like the thing is going to tip over frontwards and to the left. Like it's not balanced whatsoever, but I found what holds the best for me. And then after I shoot it enough, I get used to it. I mean, I could pick up my bow right now and drop back with my eyes closed. And when I open them, my bubble is going to be sitting level just because I've shot it enough that, that I naturally do that. So I don't always worry about setting my back bar angle to where my bubble's level. I wanted to hold the best and then I just get used to it. And then eventually the bubble will want to be level. Yeah, no, that makes, uh, that makes sense. And, uh, a couple of my buddies do that same thing. In fact, um, guy that, well, when I was in Colorado lives by you, you know, Tony, uh, Clem, uh, and, uh, his son, Tammy, uh-huh. T- Tony actually taught me yeah. like 20 years ago, had me shooting a Carter Colby two finger, trying to talk me into not touching my nose to the string and shoot like a 30 second size peep. And I'm like, dude, I feel claustrophobic in this thing. And let me tell you what, <laughs> for a guy who can, I would say if there was a contest and I'm trying to compete with him now, I've never seen someone be able to drink that much and still shoot softballs at 80 yards. It was quite impressive. Uh, sorry for announcing that Tony, but <laughs> he's the same way. I picked his bow up the other day when we were at his house, I was dialing in my hunt bow to a hundred and I grabbed his target bow and it felt like, you know, I had a walrus hanging off the left side. I'm like, jeez, how do you shoot that? 
And he said the same thing you did. He goes, that's just what holds steady. He goes, he goes, I, I muscle memory gets me to where I, I will hold it level all the time. But at first it feels weird. I'm a little, I got, I got more of a happy medium, uh, you know, when I do mine, but, um, I, I think that what people do mostly, and you own an archery shop, it's cool. Cause Kyle Douglas did it. They just throw some shit on their bow and head out for no rhyme or reason, but it looks cool. Cause they got an offset bracket and a, in a back bar. There is actually, a, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. help. It can fucking hurt a lot. Like it can make you worse if you don't know what you're, if you don't have it set up correctly. So, you know, for, for, for guys listening in, you know, obviously we talked about stacking weights on and off. What system, like what, what, if people go buy a system, what would you suggest? Um, you know, like I use an AAE uh, gripper, I think they call it for my offset bracket. I have a bunch of the stack weights that you can put on um, on that system. And I use like the mountain series stabilizer for my hunting bow. What, what do you suggest for guys to grab if they're really going to start tweaking things and gals? Um, I'm a B stinger guy on everything B stingers. And, you know, somebody just grabbing something off the shelf, maybe like a, they have what they call like a 10.8 kit, gives you a 10 inch front bar, eight inch back bar, and a bracket, um, three ounces on each bar. You may want to grab a couple packs of weights to play with weights. But I would say a, a pretty common setup for somebody to start with on a hunting bow would be like a 10 inch front, eight inch back. And then, you know, maybe start with, um, I don't know, four or five ounces out front and three or four ounces out back and just kind of see where it wants to be. You know, typically on a hunting bow, you're going to want more weight on your front bar than you do on your back bar, or at least for me anyways, um, because it seems like my front bar steadies me down a lot more than my back bar. My back bar kind of, it slows down motion and, and the side to side and stuff, but it, I don't notice it as much as loading up my front bar usually. But yeah, just something like that. I mean, I'm running a 12 and a 10. Um, an eight and a six would maybe work, but it, you're you're not going to feel it near as much as, as the longer bars for sure. And so, so one of the uh, the things recently, um, I put now don't laugh. I've made fun of them forever, and now I'm eating crow. I put a quivalizer on, and I I super I like Dan Evans. He's awesome. That actually now wind is a little bit different, um, but that actually I noticed a fairly. I, now I did have to load up the bow a little bit with some weight. Um, and I actually kind of manufactured some weight on the, the quivalizer because it's light. I don't hunt with a light bow. I just hunt with a bow that aims well. And then I, you know, just suck it up and, you know, carry the weight. When, when, when guys are hunting, like the one thing I think that if you're not taking a shot past 40 yards, um, it's not, in my opinion anyway, and I'd be, you know, curious to get your feedback. You know, if you're not like dropping far, like bombs, um, the stabilization stabilization system isn't going it's going to help but i really notice it at longer distances at closer distances i can shoot pretty dang good with anything but i i think that one of the reasons people can't shoot farther is is uh as as, as accurate are some of the things we're talking about so talk about that a little bit like if people are wanting to extend their range if people are wanting to work on their stabilization system um, you know, owning a shop and being, uh, you know, hunter and obviously a accomplished tournament archer as well. What do you try to like impress upon people that are coming into that shop to get them to be better archers or if they want to extend their distance? To me, it's, um, 
you know, on a hunting bow, a lot of guys get in the mindset of like, oh, it's good enough to kill a deer, you know, and they're shooting a paper plate at 40 yards and they're happy and they go try and kill a deer like that. To me, I, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like I get, I'm probably going to get one shot if I get a shot and I want to make it the very best shot I possibly ever could. So I put a ton of work into my hunting bow and I dial everything in as good as I possibly can. Um, you know, so that that's going to come down to like making sure that your bow is tuned perfectly, making sure that every arrow is shooting a bullet hole through paper, not just your one arrow that you tuned it with, um, you know, especially with broadheads and, um, you know, just, just working on like the little details, you know, like draw length, loop length and peep height are probably more important to me than just about anything else on a bow setup because getting a bow to hold, um, the draw length is the most critical factor. You know, it's, I could, I would rather have a bow that fits me perfect um, with no stabilizers or very little stabilizer on it than one that has a ton of stabilizer weight and stuff that the drawing doesn't fit me right. Um, so I just try and make sure the bow's fitted good, you know, solid anchor point, good peep height, and stuff like that. And then once they're, like, once it's tuned and set up good, then you start playing with stabilizer weight um, and stuff like that. Maybe try some different releases, see what, what, type of shot execution works the best for you um and just kind of diving in all the way or going all the way on a hunting bow and not just getting it you know close enough to to kill a deer or whatever you know and there's a lot of guys you know say you don't want to shoot past 50 to animal um you know we'll still dial in your bow out to 100 you know there's, there's kind of two reasons behind that you know because if if you can get your bow to shoot good especially with broadheads at 100 yards that thing is going to shoot absolutely amazing at 50 and in you're not gonna have to worry about it one bit but um the other thing is you know for like maybe a follow-up shot you know if i plug one at 30 and he runs out there to 150 i'm still gonna be shooting if he's already got a hole in him yeah well and in uh so. actually let's dive down that uh rabbit and wormhole obviously coming from uh going from a compound to a stick bow to back to a compound I get to deal with all angles of happiness and hate, right? You know, we shoot a stick bow at everybody, you know, and go to a compound, you're an asshole, you shoot animals far away, whatever. Um, you know, after that first shot hits the animal, all bets are off. You're, I'm, I'm winging arrows to try to get more in it. Within, when I say that, meaning obviously you want it to be a good shot. When you talk about, uh, and I agree with you 100%, draw length, don't be overbowed, tuning. I, I think tuning... I don't think I answer a million and a half questions about this and you own a shop tuning to people is like Swahili or uh, I, I don't pick it, pick a language. We don't speak. They, they don't, you know, people aren't grasping that, uh, you know, the package says with field point accuracy, which is, is not overly true. You got to learn to tune your bow. So once you're, let's say you have a correct draw length and you're not overbowed, you got to learn to tune your bow or set up your bow, tune your arrows, spin your arrows. No, um, you know, Hey, what fletches should I shoot? I get that question a lot. I'm like, well, the ones that group the best, that is not the answer they want to hear. <laughs> um, and so messing with all of that, and I do a ton of videos on this stuff, but when you, um, I would say once the bow set up correctly, just straight, uh, able to work on a bow, understanding if there's a left tear or a right tear, what to do, um, you know, troubleshooting. What are your opinions on that? I mean, are you agreement, disagreement? Because to me, it seems like no one wants to learn how to do that anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are just looking for the magic pill, you know, and they can, you know, here, fix my bow, make it perfect, and then I just want to go shoot something. I don't want to put in the work that it takes to really dial in a setup, you know. And I see both sides of that, you know, having a shop. There's some guys that, like, they don't care. They're going on a, I don't know, a, a doll sheet on Alaska, and they don't care what it costs. They just want the very best stuff they can possibly get, and they want you to do everything for them. And, you know, even down to, like, trying to talk you into sighting in their bow so they don't even have to hardly go shoot it before they, they go hunting. You know, and then I see the other guys that they just love getting into the tuning side and tinkering with stuff. You know, they're constantly buying different different veins to try out, or I'm going to try these arrows, or I'm going to throw 120 grains in the point instead of 100, or I'm going to do these different things, you know. And for me, I, I like to tinker with stuff until I find the setup that works the best. And it's not always the same um, with different things, you know. So I'll screw with, for me, you know, having a bow that's tuned good is very important for hunting because you're trying to shoot broadheads. And you, you can't shoot broadheads well if your bow's not tuned good. That's just kind of all, that, that's all there is to it. But um, you come down to like the forgiveness factors of like point weight, fletching, you know, how many veins you're running, how tall your veins are, how long they are, um, and different things like that is when you kind of really start fine tuning stuff. And I set up different, different arrows and things for different stuff. You know, if I'm running, um, you know, different broadheads. I'll, I may run different veins on different broadheads, trying to to see what I can get away with. You know, as far as like, um, if I'm I shoot mechanical, so I'm trying to try to run as small of a vein as I can that still controls the broadhead well, um, because I just you know the smaller the vein, usually less noise, less wind drift, and everything like that. But if you throw a fixed blade on the front of something, you want all the vein on there that you can get because those things are trying to plane off on you, and you're just trying to keep them under control. So, uh, this rabbit hole, we won't dive down too, too far. Cause it, uh, I think it probably confuses people at times. So when, um, if, if you, if you don't have someone like a, a Kyle to, to talk with or, or, or me or a buddy that's proficient at all of this, um, and you ask your buddy what veins he shoots and he's shooting, a I don't know, pick a, a, a two inch, I don't know, AAE hybrid, um, to steer a fixed blade or and he's shooting a mechanical but you are shooting a fixed blade and so you just fletch up what he had there's going to be problems i i would say uh you know back in the day like i'm old enough to be your dad right there was like five inch marcos were pretty common right like you literally had enough shit to fly a plane on the back end of a 2514 or something (laughs) um now, you know, yeah. Oh, it's crazy technology now. Like for me, a happy medium to me in, 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 you know, both 2.6 to a three inch vein. Um, if I'm just going to throw something on somebody's arrow and hope for the best, um, with a, a relatively average profile, I don't like super high profile veins. Um, but like, you know, there is a big difference in grouping I have found, um, for different setups, meaning, uh, you know, three inch helical, three inch offset uh, four, four, 2.25, uh, offset, um, you know, that multiple there and I'll just shoot and group, I'll shoot three arrows, set up a bunch of different ones, see what groups the best, less, least amount of wind drift that can still steer the, the arrow. I don't tell people to get mm. that involved in it too, too often, unless they just have an abundance of time and they have like OCD, but I would imagine it sounds like you do that. I mean, you do mess with it. What is your, what would you be your like average? Uh, what would you suggest for people that 
um, don't want to mess with it a ton. What do you kick people out the door with, both with a mechanical and a fixed blade? Yeah, so um, you know, if somebody's shooting a mechanical, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend like a four fletch high profile vein. To me, the height matters more than the length on the vein when I'm trying to steer broadheads or like fat shafts for a target or something like that. Um, you know, so I would rather have a two inch high profile than a three inch, a little bit longer, uh, a little bit lower profile because it, it seems like it just has a bigger air pocket and it controls that arrow, gets it under control faster. Um, so like a, I shoot the, the stuff from Q2I, so maybe like a four fletch wrap deck, um, which is like a blader shaped vein, um, controls a fixed blade better than anything I've ever found. Um, you know, on mechanicals, you can get away with a lot more because they're not near as hard to steer. They shoot way better. Um, you know, so I'm I'm playing with different stuff this year for my setup, um, but I'm thinking I'm going to run like a Fusion X2 2.1, so kind of like a mid-profile 2-inch vein in a 4-fletch. Um, I think it's plenty to steer most mechanicals. You know, it just depends on how much exposed blade surface you have and what you're trying to correct. No, and this is good because I'm on the other end of the – the spectrum, I, I do not like super high profile veins. I've always shot, and this is probably because of Gillingham years ago, uh, a little bit lower profile, a little bit, not I say longer, I mean, relative speaking, right? Two and a half, 2.6, like I said, three inch lower profile, four fletch offset and had better luck with that. Now that could be also that I, that's just what I wanted to shoot, uh, you know, uh, what is subconsciously, I don't know, but um, for, for yeah. <laughs> you know, that, does Tim still shoot lower profile or do you go back to high profile? It's hard to keep up. Um, he just, you know, he's always testing stuff. So whoever he puts on his bow that year could be different from one year to actually whoever shooting the best at the time. But, um, yeah, on your, have you like shot them side by side and like noticed better groups with like the longer low profile veins or are you just like them because they're quieter and stuff? A little, every, everything. So what, what I do, um, which you'll have to come hang out at the house because it's quite comical. We do a ton of testing, and so it's a combination. Uh, what I do when I test is I'll fletch up three, let's say with a mini max, like a crazy helical um, at a 2.6 or a whatever vein, and then I'll do four fletch offset, high profile, low profile, and I'll, I'll I basically just put a one spot out there at 80. And then one arrow will be color coded mm. with a blue Sharpie. The next set of arrows is red, black, whatever. And then over the co over the course of, you know, an hour shooting, I will be able to see just what's grouping. Well, um, normally they're all pretty close to the same. So one might be a little bit better than the other. Then I'm going to test shooting out of my garage with wind drift. What's drifting more or less. Then I'm going to go to broadheads. What's st stabilizing or steering that better? And then I'm going to have my poor wife hide down there and listen and blind taste test. You know, the holy shit, that one's loud. You're right. She just sits, stands down there like a deer <laughs> would and listens. Poor thing. Right. And so it's kind of a combination um, of all of the above. The one thing, even though right now, because I've been lazy, I'm fletching with a mini max instead of a, a, a last chance or a Bitsen burger. Um, I think a four fletch uh, for most people, one, you can't fletch it upside down. Even with a drop away, you can get contact if you put, or I found you can get contact if you used to shoot cock vein up and then you, you fling one off because you shit your pants and you loaded your arrow upside down. You can't load a four fletch wrong. <laughs> yeah. Two, you can index them. 
uh, more technology. Uh, you, you don't really have to index arrows in like you used to as much, but now I've got multiple options to get an arrow to suck back in the group with a four fletch. That was always a bonus for me, especially sometimes with a broadhead indexing one over would, would bring it back in a little bit. If I was getting a little bit erratic or, you know, if it was coming out of the group a little, you know, overall yeah, though, I feel the same way. Yeah. I would just say overall, that is just me. What about like you, like you're a better shot than I am. And so, I mean, what did you find in, in everything else? And was it at the, in the end, was it pick and fly shit out of chili? Was there a big difference or a little difference in what most people even like notice? You know, on, on something, it's a big deal. Something, something it's a little bit, but you know, I, Personally, I absolutely hate shooting fixed blades. Like, you have to pull teeth to make me try and shoot a fixed blade. Um, the only time I ever shot them is when I hunted Idaho um, up until this year, I guess. But, um, you know, trying to get them things to shoot is an absolute nightmare for me because I I hate losing accuracy. Um, and I hate giving up, you know, like, trust in my bow. And as soon as I screw a fixed blade on the front of that thing, it's like every time I pull back, I'm like, I, I hope this hits the middle, you know, and it just, I just can't trust them. I can't, I can never ever get them to shoot as good as I can expandable no matter what I do, because you know, they're aerodynamically, they're trying to play not, they're trying to go weird ways. So whenever I'm trying to steer a fixed blade, I want to go for overkill. Um, you know, and a few years back, Oh, it's been quite a while back now, actually, you know, Gillingham's always, you know, hounded me on the four fletch and way back when I didn't used to shoot it. I was just shot three and, you know, I had a couple of buddies that shot four fletch too. And they, um, you know, they're always counting me, you got to try four, you got to try four. I'm like, what well, doesn't make any difference? You know, three veins is funny. And then one year I was getting set up to go to Idaho and I was trying to get fixed plates to shoot. And um, I just couldn't get them to shoot. I mean, the best I could do with them was like three, four inch groups at 60 and it just wasn't enough. And then my buddy's over here and he's always shooting four foot, you know, and we'll put four on there and see what it does. I pushed up four of them and boom, it just shrunk my group, you know, I was shooting like two inch groups at 60 with six blades on there instantly, just going from three fletch, three fletch to four fletch. Uh, and so right there, it, it like flipped the switch and I was like, okay, maybe there is something to this. And I've tested on all kinds of stuff and I always go back to the four fletch every time. It just seems like it corrects faster coming out of my bow and it's more forgiving to my mistakes or if something's wrong on the bow. Um, and the way I look at it, like, I, I try to be nice to my hunting bows, but they're getting hunted with, you know, they're not getting babied and sit on the back seat of the truck. They're, I mean, they're freaking bouncing off rocks and trees and whatever on the way up the mountain. And, um, I, if something gets bumped off on my bow slightly, way better with a four fletch on a bow that's out of tune than I do with a three fletch. Like if I get, you know, something gets knocked off and it's not tuned as good as it was, or if I'm all nervous on an animal, I got buck fever going on. I don't make a perfect shot anymore. You know, and I'm the one, the reason my bow's out of tune. I, I get a lot more forgiveness out of the four fletch. So for me on a, a fixed blade broadhead, I want a super high profile, you know, something like a blazer shaped band, like the Raptex from Utah is my favorite on those um, in a four fletch just to control that broadhead. And if anything goes wrong, you know, it, it's kind of overkill and it's going to steer it a lot better. Um, you know, dropping down to expandable, I'm, I'm shooting a smaller vein because I, I don't like, you don't need the, the, higher profiles on them as much as you do with less. Um, so I'll drop down to something a little bit lower profile, reduce noise, reduce wind drift and everything like that. And I still get the same accuracy out of it. You know, and 
what I do with veins is typically I'll start big because I know I can make big veins shoot good because they're going to be super forgiving. And I keep going smaller and smaller and smaller until I see my groups open up at distance. And then I just bump back up one size and that's where I stay. Um, you know, and I'm not going to give up accuracy for anything. So if I have like a, you know, a smaller, lower profile vein that's super quiet, say something like a, a Griff X or something from Detroit, like a, a low profile parabolic that's like insanely quiet vein. Um, but if I can't get it to be as forgiving, especially with broadheads on, I'm not going to shoot at all. I'll shoot a noisier arrow because it shoots better. You know, I figure my first job is to put the arrow where I'm aiming it. You know, I can't always control what the animal does. Yeah, they may duck a little bit less on a quieter arrow, but I want to control everything that I can control and then worry about everything else later on. Let, let's dive into that a little bit more because these are the things that I hope people take away from, you know, from this because I would say four fletch. And again, now I'm kind of lazy because that mini max is, is quick and, and it, it does have good accuracy, but for 20 years I fletched with a Bitsenberger four fletch. Um, pretty much. It sounds like the same as you. I never shot helical with that. I just shot offset on a compound. Um, but I, I, uh, I don't want to sound like a dick when I say this, but it was amazing to me. Somebody wouldn't be willing to go to a three inch four fletch from a two when their accuracy is shrunk down by half um, because let's say if they're shooting a, a fixed blade broadhead and I'm like, look, man, I, I shoot a four inch vein. If that's what it takes, like you need to get, <laughs> it may look cooler having two on the back, but Jesus Christ. I mean, well, I'm losing too much speed, long distance. I'm like, you're not going to hit it any fucking way. So what's it matter? Like you're so <laughs> those are the kind of things that I, you know, for, for me. And, uh, you know, if you're like at the house, we shoot every night, we got the three D's and shit and, you know, uh, different targets out at different distances. The one thing that I agree with you hold hard, wholeheartedly. And I was, uh, you know, I've been shooting fixed blades for a long time with the stick bow, but with, I was more of a three to four mechanicals and one fixed blade guy in my quiver. I've always run to, um, if I got to fire one through the brush, which I'm going to get hate for saying that's unethical. If I got a chance of, of, um, you know, shooting, shooting through and I, and I can, and I can change my air out. I'd rather shoot a fixed blade after that. It, it, um, there's not a lot of reasons with technology, my draw length and arrow weight to, to shoot a, a fixed blade. I'm not saying they're bad. If people want to shoot them, the one thing I can say, and I think you would agree with this, if I fletch up. 12 arrows right now and i put six and i just i don't i don't do anything i just build them i know my bows tune and they're tuned and i put three or i put six mechanicals on and i put six fixed blades what would you say that my you know if i can shoot a softball group at 60 with would you say that probably those six mechanicals are going to go in that dot Usually, if you're if you're that good of a shot, if you just build them and shoot them, for the, for the most part, yeah. I mean, the, the the hard part, like if they don't spin good, obviously they're not gonna fly good. But yeah, if everything's good on your arrows, your rod are spinning good, and yeah, you just fuck them up. For the most part, on most mechanicals, they'll be fairly close. They'll, point of impact may shift a little bit from field tips, but they aren't gonna group as long as you have no vein on your arrow. They aren't gonna group a lot different like side your group wise than your field tips will yeah there's a little bit more exposed blade surface they are going to try and plane off just a little bit um they're not maybe quite as forgiving as the field tip is but yeah they're for the most part they're going to group 
pretty well out of your bow. You know, you throw a fixed plate on there and you don't do anything special with it. Good luck. Okay, that was my point. Now I've got six fixed blades. You may have one that hits the dirt in front of the target. You may have two that hit the dot. <laughs> and this is not me bashing on mm -hmm. fixed blades. This is me telling the truth. And I have gotten in large yeah. arguments with this. And I always think like, man, I wish I could fly you out. Because whatever you're doing is obviously better than what I'm doing. Because I can't, uh, on a bet, I would not bet I could do that. And that's just life. And now there are some fixed blades that are way better than others. But they're more finicky. You're throwing a giant blade on the front of your arrow. And that's something for, you know, things for people to think about. Um, or, you know, the wind. I, You know what I mean? Like if you are shooting out of a garage and everything is, is tuned and ready to roll and you're not in the wind. This is another great test. And your arrow is going into a 25 mile an hour crosswind at 60 yards. Um, you are not going to drift that much with a mechanical. You are going to drift significantly more with a fixed blade. And that is just life. And so it's up to a person to choose like, Hey, what are the pros and what are the cons? You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. And, and, and I, Gillingham gets super wound up about that to a point. It's like, I need to give him a pill to calm down. Um, <laughs> it's a big decision for people and you get online. And what would you say people read mostly online about, you know, the mechanical fixed blade thing, like, um, or that you hear a lot because I have a guy that I'll have a guy message me. I'm shooting, a 500 grain arrow at 278 is that enough to shoot a mechanical and i'm like yeah at anything like almost anything uh <laughs> you can shoot whatever you want shoot 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 a butter knife like you're going through talk about that a little bit i'll quit rambling on here talk about the pros and cons of a fixed and a mechanical yeah, so I think that it seems like kind of the fad right now, the online thing right now is like heavy arrow, high front of center, two blade fixed head, single bevel, blah, blah, blah. They're doing it to try and get penetration. And to me, I look at it like, why do I need more penetration? You know, the only time I think a fixed blade, well, with, I guess, my setup, the only time a fixed blade would ever benefit me in any way whatsoever is if I hit one in the shoulder. And even then, it's not a guarantee. You know, yes, it may penetrate a little bit better through the shoulder than an expandable, but my whole entire job is not to hit the shoulder. Um, you know, so if I hit one anywhere else on the entire rest of the whole body, I want a giant expandable just to put a massive hole and get as much blood pumping out as I possibly can. Um, you know, but different setups. I think, you know, somebody that's running like maybe a, a kid or a lady not pulling as much poundage or as much drawing, a fixed blade's a good option for them because they just don't have enough oomph to run a two-inch cut all the way through an house, you know. But I think, you know, your average guy, you know, say, say you take your average guy, 28 to 30-inch drawing, 70-pound bow, I say shoot mechanical all day, every day because you're just getting a massive hole and if you do screw up and happen to make a little bit of a bad shot and run one through the guts or something like that, you've got a lot better chance of finding that animal if you have a big hole through it than if you just have a couple little slices with a fixed blade. So, you know, and people worry about mechanicals not opening or not expanding or whatever, you know, so that's kind of like the downside. Everybody's like, I got to do fixed so I have penetration and nothing can go wrong. And 
to me, I have never had anybody that could prove to me that their blades didn't open on their expandable. Uh, maybe back way back when, when they first came around and the expandables weren't that great. But nowadays, as long as you pick the right head, you don't have to worry about blades opening or, or issues like that. And as far as penetration goes, as long as you have an, you know, what I would consider an average setup, um, you're going to get enough. I've never shot an animal that I hit where I wanted to hit him and it didn't penetrate enough. You know, and usually it's just going to blow right out the other side and not have any issues. And and I definitely had issues in uh, like 08, 09 with a couple mechanicals. Um, it de- it's it's definitely it does not happen very often. I would say less than one, less than a half a percent, like like way way low. Like and it generally sometimes that's user error, like most of the time. But um, the the one thing I <laughs> the one thing I can say is you just got. You don't want to, in in uh, you know, this is my opinion. You know, you don't really want to shoot um, a super low, you know, short draw with a light arrow and try. Like my wife, I probably would never have her shoot a mechanical, maybe at a white tail, but you know, I generally have her shoot fixed blades. Her her shots are pretty close. She's bow's easy to tune. It's you know slower than the second coming of Christ because she's not you know drawn back a ton of weight, and and a, and a fixed blade makes sense, but. Anybody generally between, you know, 60 to 70 pounds with a 450 to 550 grain arrow, they're not going to have much issues. And I, you know, I got a lot of hunter hunters too. I just don't see the issues. Um, but there is a place and space for a fixed blade. Generally, like I said, my wife, she's got a shorter, no, I'm not super short, 27 inch actually. So it's not that it's, I think her drawings longer than Dan McCarthy's, but she's shooting like 43 pounds. It, so and her arrow doesn't fly super fast, super easy to tune, and not not a lot of distance on the shot. Um, she shoots mechanicals for yeah, you know turkeys. But uh, what are what are you shooting for mm-hmm. a mechanical? I'm running the NAP kill zones is what I'm shooting with the trophy tip on there. Gotcha. And I I used to shoot those a lot. I shoot a, a sever now. But those kill zone, what is your arrow weigh? How many pounds are you shooting for hunting? Because those do take some momentum to open up. Um, knowing that you've killed a ton of big elk and deer, what is your what is your arrow weight generally for hunting and poundage? Yeah, I mean, those, those broadheads aren't like, I wouldn't consider them the very best as far as penetrating heads because they do take a little bit of oomph to open them and stuff. But um, I found them just to be super reliable and they're super accurate. Um, but I'm running, uh, this year I'm running at the Evo XF 33, um, supposed to be an 80 pounder, but by the time I had my draw length and everything fine tuned on there, it came in about 85, um, which I probably didn't want that much, but it is what it is. So I'll just shoot it like that. And then I'm at 28 and a half inches, um, on my hunting bow, my arrow weighs, oh, what did that weigh? I think it's like 432, I want to say. Um, and it's doing like three nineteen out of there. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, it's it's cooking, and you haven't had any issue with that. Roughly that setup on any of the animals. I mean, are you getting zipping through both sides mostly? Most of the time, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, um, seems like for whatever reason, the last few years I've hit a lot of stuff on like a slightly quartering shot, but that offside shoulder and it doesn't go all the way through, but. Honestly, if I'm shooting a great big mechanical like that, you know, a two-inch rear-deploy head where I've got a two-inch hole going in, I don't care as much if I get an exit hole because I know I'll get a ton of blood pumping out the entry. I mean, yeah, two is better, but it's still plenty. But 
Like normally on a broadside shot, yeah, it's just going to zip right through. I mean, I shot two bulls last year, one in Utah and one in Wyoming. And my Utah bull, um, he was broadside at 68, and it just zipped right through him. I found it, you know, laying on the dirt on the other side. Um, and then my Wyoming bull last year, um, that one was a, a super long shot, um, probably longer than I would like to normally shoot. But um, I hit him kind of slightly quartered away. Uh, and the air didn't go all the way through, and I never did, you know, like gut him or anything to, to see what it did, but it buried him. He kind of quartered away. It went in right around the last rib, um, and and he didn't go anywhere with that one. Um, you know, and it was good blood the whole way. I, I just don't have issues with penetration, you know, and everybody gets so wound up about that, and I've never had an issue. I mean, yeah, if you're running, like you said, like your wife said, no, I would definitely not put her in the same broadhead that I'm shooting because, she's going to have issues with penetration, but I mean, if you're on like 70 pounds or so with a decent draw length, I don't think you have any issues shooting a mechanical. Yeah. And I think what people really, and we touched on this a minute ago, to me, the pros of a mechanical, easy to tune, consistent, um, generally you're going to, you know, not generally you're more forgiving, um, all of that in comparison to, uh, one thing that people don't think about, if you have really off footing, especially hunting in cliffs, that really changed, it changed, I say, power stroke, the uh, paradox of the oscillation, whatever you want to call it, torquing, you know, you're going to torque differently if you're really at bad angles with really bad footing, the mechanical is going to be more forgiving. A fixed blade, it is mm-hmm. very, very finicky when you start talking about those issues. And so that people need to weigh that out. And I've shot both. I don't have a dog in the fight. Like I've designed multiple fixed blade heads for companies. And I like all of them for the right time and place. The The thing is, is if somebody and they asked me, somebody asked me this the other day, I come over the top of a mule deer uh, on top of a mule deer in Alberta. And it's, let's say a two, you know, you hunt mule deer. It's, it's the mule deer of all mule deers, 225 inch world record archery mule deer. I've got a bit of a crosswind and I've got a real tough angle shot. What broadhead am I shooting? And I'm like, I'm shooting a fucking mechanical without question. I'm shooting a mechanical. (laughs) And, And I said, now let's rewind that. I'm in thick buck brush, red brush. The deer's at eight yards. I'm shooting a fixed blade. I, and I can say that because I don't want the, the broadhead to open on the way to it. That would be the only time, and, and I would like to get your opinion on that, that would be the only time closer distance with the possibility of hitting something where the broadhead might open. That would be the only time I would choose a, a fixed blade. After that, I'm not, I, I would not choose one. Would you agree, disagree, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it- I wouldn't have a problem shooting a fixed blade and something like that because you're probably not going to miss where you're shooting and you're going to, you know, punch out both lungs and run 50 yards and tip over dead. But for me, like, the chances of getting a shot like that compared to, like, a 50, 60, 80-yard shot, you know, is is way more often than I'm going to have a little bit longer shot. And I can't make my fixed – like, I can't make a fixed blade fly the same as a mechanical. Like, very, very rarely could I ever run the same sight tape. Um as I could with a fix. Um, so I'm 100% on full boat with the, the mechanicals, and I'll take my chances on, you know, having maybe that one time and have one in a brushy shot or something. I've got to wait for try and get a different angle or, or something, you know. But, um, yeah, it, to me, 
accuracy is king. If I hit them where I'm supposed to hit them, I don't care what I'm shooting, they're dead. And to me, I just cannot get accuracy out of a fixed blade. I can get them to shoot okay, but they will never shoot near as good as a mechanical will. So I, I just don't trust a fixed blade, honestly. I, I have very little trust in one, but it's going to hit where I want it to hit in a hunting situation. You know, you got wind, you're cold, you're you're all nervous, you're torquing the crap out of the bow because you got buck fever and you don't realize what's going on. And the chances of that thing hitting exactly where you want it to hit are not that great. But you throw a mechanical on there and you can get away with a heck of a lot more and still still make a good shot on an animal and not have to worry about where it's going to hit. You know, if I'm shooting a fixed blade of the animal, I touch that, that thing off and it's like, please hit where it's supposed to, please hit where it's supposed to. I just, I'm praying that that thing doesn't go flying off into the dirt somewhere with a mechanical. I know if I make a good shot, he's dead. No question. You know, I, I, if I take my time, think through my shot and, and make a good execution, the animal's dead. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and again, before I get any, you know, hate mail, I mean, I've, I, I am not a, I, I am not quite as aggressive on the mechanicals as Kyle, but I'm, I'm close when it comes to um, compounds. Cause it's just <laughs> flat out. Um, that's the way that I, I like to explain it to people. A guy asked me the same question, all the money in the world's on the line, whatever you want to look at, there's a 250 inch non-typical below you. Yeah. I'm, I'm grabbing a mechanical and I have all the confidence in the mm-hmm. world with that. And especially I'm yeah, not shooting. You're going to be smart. What's that? And you just got to be smart on your setup, you know, like, yep. like say like your wife's setup. No, don't, don't shoot mechanical on that kind of setup because it's not going to be best for you. You know, it, you got to look at, you know, what works best for you. But I would say, you know, most of the people that probably listen to your podcaster, that, you know, a 28 to 30 inch drawing guy shooting a 70 pound compound and they're going to have no issues. But yeah, like a, you know, a lower poundage or lower drawing or a kid's bow or something like that. No, I would never tell any of them to shoot a mechanical, but, um, you know, everything has kind of its time and place. Yep. What is your, uh, and you might've said this before, what is your draw length, um, uh, for your, on your hunting and hunting target, but I imagine they're the same, but what is your draw length? Yeah. So usually I can squeak out 28 and a half on a hunting bow. Um, usually on a, a target bow, um, like right about 28 and a quarter. Gotcha. And so, um, uh, you know, on, on, uh, my bow right now, I don't shoot as light of an arrow. I'm in that 475 range. I, I always try to stay around 280, like for everything. And it's probably cause I'm old school, um, and just got used to that speed. And so I don't, um, I shoot the arrow weight applicable to get me around 280. The cool thing with that XF 33 is, and I have the, the smaller cam, a little bit of aggressive draw cycle, but it's fast as shit. Um, I can shoot like mm-hmm, 70, pounds. Yeah, I can shoot 70 pounds. I'm getting 284 out of a 478 grain arrow. I'll hunt almost anything, but I, I mean, I wouldn't hunt African game. I guess, you know, I wouldn't go try to shoot a hippo with that, but I, I would drop an 80 yard bomb without question on an elk uh, and not worry about that setup at all and, and have. Um, and, and I think people, again, with technology, people, you know, like again, when guys say I'm shooting, you know, 28 and a half inch draw and 74 pounds with a 490 grain arrow. Will that kill an elk with a mechanical? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, that will kill anything with a mechanical. You know what I, I, I don't think people, I mean, I think it too much shit online, too much archery talk is what it is. I, I am not a fan of archery talk. There are so many people on there full of shit. Um, 
So, uh, so what, uh, sight wise and, uh, arrow rest wise for, for target and hunting, um, what, what do you, what do you got going? So my target bull, I'm running the Excel Achieve XP, um, with the shrewd scope on there. And then on the hunting bow, I've been running the, uh, the AccuTouch, but I, I've got a landslide on it for this year. Um, I think I'm probably going to shoot that. Um, and then rest, I run ham speed on everything. Um, I don't, I don't trust anything else out there at all. I've, those things are just freaking bomb proof. Those guys are cool too. They, they well, not where I live now. Uh, obviously, from Colorado, Andrew and Sean are are cool. And then obviously, uh, Tim. Um, you know, it, Tim's got a. You know, obviously, his brain is constantly working. So um, that sight level they make. Yeah, I carry that thing everywhere to hunting camp because I cliff, we shoot a lot of cliff shots. Not to get off the subject. First thing I do is grab all the clients' bows and throw that ham ski on there. Cause I'm like the chance of you taking a 45 <laughs> degree shot, of it off. <laughs> all, all of them, almost all of them. Um, they're like my yeah. shop leveled it up and I'm like, huh. And Tim was making fun of me. Cause dude, I learned how to level a bow by putting a four foot level and, and clamping it from limb pocket to limb pocket. Oh my God. He went to, and I, oh, I still geez. use a bright sight <laughs> pro tuner, you know, for a quick level to get it started. Oh, no. Sweet. Don't geez. tell me that. Oh man, he was giving me crap. And I'm like, dude, I used it for years. So I just, to, you know what I mean? Just to get it close, I'll throw it on to double check, throw it on my bow. And then I'll, you know, obviously finish it up. And, uh, you know, on some bows, it's hard to, or some sites, it's hard to get that ham ski to clamp on in, in different spots, you know, and I, 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 that man, Tim got going. He was, well, there's one way to do it. And that's the only way, and it's stupid other than that. And I'm like, all right, Tim, I'm stupid. Okay, I got it, right? And I love Tim to death, but I, th I think what people don't understand is no matter what, um, as far as like a right or wrong way, I totally agree with that. Um, if your shop is not pointing your bow up and down when they level your bow, <laughs> they're not really leveling your sight. I mean, they're not, you know, I, I, I man, I try not to bash. draw, you know. What's that? You know, a lot of times they're not doing it full draw. They're using like that bright side or whatever other stuff. And you, you absolutely cannot do third act if not a full draw. There's no way around that. Well, and, and, and I guess what I'm saying is I would be happy if they didn't do it at full draw. If they just did it and got it closer. It, do, it does change. I'm not uh, not arguing that 100% you want to do it at full draw. I would I would be more than happy if they just did it up and downhill as a start. Some of these are so far off, you know, cause technology it's, it's closer. Um, when I say closer, it's, it's, it's not going to be obviously if you, if you, and you, I mean, you might disagree if you level it, uh, even on a bright side without you making fun of me or put it on like a October mountain, whatever, a bow vice, not at full draw and level it up and downhill. It's better than not doing it all. It's not right. But dude, the ones that come, some of these that come to camp, I'm like, it's 60 yards. You'll miss four feet left, three feet for sure. And <laughs> yeah, no, I miss that a lot. I mean, I don't know. I've honestly, I've never leveled one just like tilting things up and down because I don't like doing it twice. I'd rather do it right the first time and not have to go back and do it. But I mean, it'd be better than nothing, I guess. But for me, it, the only way I ever level a side, I throw the ham ski on there, level my second, throw it back behind, level my first you know, drop back, aim it downhill, level my third, and I'm done. You know, everything is, is perfect, and I don't have to go back and 
recheck it or redo it. Um, but to me, that's the only way to level a site is, is with that hand tool at full draw, you know, doing the third axis and, and stuff. But I mean, yeah, if all you, if all somebody has is something else and they don't have a hand, you know, first off, you better go buy you one. But if you don't have it and you're in an emergency, I mean, yeah, at least do something to get you better than nothing. You know, people don't realize how much third axis matters. I mean, you, you're out there shooting on flat ground in practice. You never know it that it's off because you can't tell, you know, but as soon as they get to go hunting and they're shooting a, a deer off of, you know, a bedded buck off a cliff above them in high country or something like that. And they're shooting a 30 degree angle. Well, now that thing really matters. And they wonder why they shot it in the shoulder and, and lost it because they didn't take the time to level their third axis. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing that, um, like I was in that, I definitely was not conveying that to Tim as he was wigging out, um, you know, about, uh, you know, even on a, like if, if, if you're not, um, if you're going to do something and I agree with you, you don't want to do things twice, but, but at least get to something or at least learn how, because I don't know if you're seeing any of the videos we've had, I think a steepest, we had a 59 degree angle shot this year and, uh, wow. And that's not uncommon. 45 to 60 is, is somewhere in the middle there. Obviously 59 being the steepest, you know, we've had guys shoot the rock in front of their toe that steep. Like, and we have that on video. <laughs> and so like when I see them draw and then all the see they go to level their bow <laughs> and, you know, optical illusion maybe, but it looks about three inch cam left to where it should be. I'm like, fuck my life. This is not good. This is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah, you're just bracing for what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the way that, um, mm. again, the way that I do it, like you talked about doing twice, I tinker. That, whether that bright side or on the, the you know, I just throw it on there to make sure it's close so I don't have to do any massive adjustments when I go to do it at full draw in the day or I got a buddy with me or whatever, but learn to do it. I mean, bottom, you know, bottom line is learn how, and, and we talked about it on the podcast, um, and, and, and make sure the site that you buy is, um, is, uh, capable, not, not all sites are uh, pretty much all the higher end ones now are, are great. And some of them have better options than, than others with your, with your hunting site, which, which one was the hunting site that you used? Uh, I got a landslide on there right now. And that one has all the adjustments in the, in the world. What are some of the ones that you, you, um, you have in the shop or you think are good, you know, other than that landslide. So the most popular ones we do is they sell black gold and claw hog. Um, you know, they, they sell way more than anything else. And that's mostly, mostly what we carry. We're not a real big shop like square footage wise. It's teeny tiny. So I try and keep um, a decent amount of good stuff on the wall. You know, I don't have every site in the book, but I got, you know, a handful of options that are really good sites for guys. You know, if they want something different, I, I can order it in. But I just I hate selling junk. Um, and I don't want to sell something that's going to come back a month later and have an issue with it. Like, if I if I sell you something, I want to sell you something that I I personally could trust if it was on my own bow. Yeah, no, I gotcha. And the one thing that's, um, I was trying to explain to a guy, you know, get getting, you know, some sites, it's hard to clamp that ham ski on your vertical uh, bar. Um, you know what I mean? It doesn't mm -hmm. like that landslide. You can, it's just like a target site clamping it on. Find a way. If you don't know, call Dan Evans. If you've got, a, I shoot an option, call him. 
uh, spot hog, call spot hog. Like they'll, they know what they're doing. They'll explain to you the best way to level it. If your local pro shop doesn't know, but uh, again, it is, I don't think people realize how important it is. And the way I try to explain it is if you took a four foot level and put it on a door jam and in four feet, that levels out uh three sixteenths of an inch. That doesn't mean the entire door jam is the entire door jam is off more as if you were continue the length of the level. Well, if you're shooting 80 yards and you're out three sixteenths at the bow, that gains exponentially, uh, you know, down range. And then if you add in the up and downhill, it makes it even worse. So a guy could make the best shot in the world uh, at 60 yards downhill and end up in the butt cheek and have no idea it's because of his level. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, a lot of people don't realize that it's not just a level, like you're not just making sure that your bow is straight, you know, and you're actually making sure that your, your sight is in alignment with your arrow. You want that sight straight up and down above your arrow. If you can't your bow, now your sight's off and then you're going to aim different because of that. And then that's why you're missing left and right. You know, it, it's not just like a, a thing because your bow's level. It's like actually your, your sight is getting thrown off of access if the bow is not sitting level. Right. No. And, and, uh, without diving down that rabbit hole too, too much more, cause you can go into pretty great depth on this. Um, just remember kids level your site correctly. Um, and, and, uh, try not to make fun of me. I literally, when I told Tim, I'll still throw a four foot level on my limb pockets, uh, occasionally I thought he was going to shoot me through the computer. Oh no. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I, <laughs> Well, what's funny, I had a couple other, I had Justin, Hannah, and Levi on there, and Justin's like, I still do that. And I'm like, okay, he can make fun of Justin too, and not just me, thank God. <laughs> Man, you guys are like, geez, that's like old fashioned. They got hamsters for that stuff now. We don't well, have four foot levels anymore. And I, went, well, I, was trying, I was like, Tim, you're as old as I am, you're a little older that's all we had back then. And so it's just a warm and fuzzy. And that's when, you know, and I totally agree with what he was saying, but I'm like, well, if it makes me feel a little better, but doing it just work with me. But the true, the hamski, you really only need one little piece of machinery now uh, to do all of it. And, um, and I think that, um, well, I'll just say everybody, one, everybody order a hamski uh, site level, that thing's a monster and then learn how to use it. And I, I they have a ton of videos on, the correct way. Um, what else, what, what else would you say, um, you know, you might want to add, we're, we're over an hour here that you might want to add to any, anybody getting into tournament archery or hunting or anything like that, you know, coaching, you know, you've obviously at 25 done some amazing things, uh, especially guys really wanting to get into tournaments or archery. What would your advice be? Um, you know, that's kind of tricky. As far as, like, tournaments and stuff go, I mean, really just start doing it. You know, everybody, I want to get into it. I want to get into it. We'll go to a tournament, you know. It's, you don't even have to shoot for money. Just go shoot for fun on your first one at the local 3D shoot or whatever. And, um, you know, just start going. Don't be afraid. You know, everybody's scared to, to put up the money and shoot in the tournament. And everybody can see their score and whatever. But, you know, that's how you get better. You know, you don't, you don't realize if you're good or bad until you go shoot a score against other people. And you see it a lot, too, where guys will go, shoot tournaments just for fun they're like oh i should have put in for money because my score was good enough to get third place in the money level what's different when you actually put the money up and you're you're actually competing rather than just shooting for fun and comparing your score you know their score a lot of times will go down a little bit until they get used to shooting under pressure and stuff like that and i think that helps out a lot with hunting too because 
you know, once you get into the, the tournament stuff and the target archery, everything just becomes second nature. You know, that muscle memory is so built up. You just draw your bow back and shoot it. You don't even have to think. Um, you know, but I say just, just start going to tournaments and start getting into it, you know, and go to your local stuff. And then if you like it, you know, start going maybe your state stuff and then maybe some regional stuff and, um, you know, then move on to the national stuff. And the other thing I would say is kind of find somebody that you trust um, to kind of like help you along, you know, whoever's like maybe say the best shooter in your, your area, you know, kind of cling on to them and, you know, as, as much as they're willing to help you, you know, take their advice and, and do what they say and don't get too caught up in trying to listen to what everybody says. You know, everybody, all these people trying to get into it, you know, they look online and this guy says this and this guy says this and then they get so jumbled up. They don't know what to do. You know, they don't know up from down by the end of it, but I think if you're just starting out, you know, find the guy at your local club or whatever that that's kind of the who's who of that area and, you know, maybe listen to what he says and get going. And then later on, once you actually know what you're doing, you know, that that's kind of the time to maybe perfect your own process and take little bits and pieces from what people say and apply it to you. But when you're just starting, you don't know what the heck's going on. Um, yeah, just, just listen to what somebody says and just start doing it, really. No, that's that's good advice, and um, I, I actually make constant uh, smart-ass comments about uh, the Backyard World Champion, um, mostly because I've given guys <laughs> crap about that, and so anytime I shoot, like, really good groups, I'm, like, coming at you as a Backyard World Champion, um, it is different <laughs> under pressure, and, uh, you know, when I say that, uh, well, you'll be able to make fun of me, uh, possibly in Alabama, Um uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go shoot. Um, I haven't, I don't know if I'm going to do known 50 or, or known pro, but I'm going to uh, shoot next year, all the different um, ASAs. And it is different. Like for me with the animals, I have killed so much. My heart rate is pretty damn good. It is way different when people are watching. Like it's horribly different. We just did a local shoot and there we had a shoot down round at this best of the best thing. There was very good shooters flinging shit in the buckwheat, like good shooters. And there was like a hundred people, 150 <laughs> people watching and you jam your nose mm -hmm. into the string more, you death grip the bow. And, and you know, it, 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 it's something that your first step. And I agree with Kyle, go out and shoot with your buddies next step. All right. Start focusing on score, you know, then bump up in classes. Usually guys go from pins to open to semi pro pro, whatever. Um, just get out there and shoot. And, and I agree with Kyle, learn and listen, you don't have to hound the shit out of a guy to learn anything. Hell, watch him shoot. Like, you know, what? watch what he's using and, and go from there. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, uh, it is a very addictive sport, and uh, whether it be hunting or, or uh, you know, 3D or competitive, but it's a lot more addictive when you don't suck. And so if you really work on, you know, accuracy and knowing what you're doing, it's it's going to be a lot funner. Um, do you offer lessons or anything um, at the shop there? Um, not really. I mean, I'm so busy between tournaments and, and trying to keep up with tuning and stuff at the shop. I don't have a whole lot of time for lessons. You know, sometimes if somebody, if somebody really wants a lesson and, and I've got time for it, yeah, we'll help out and do something. But, um, you know, I, there's always guys coming in like, Oh, Hey, we, you watch the way I shoot or whatever. And we'll give them a couple of tips and send them on their way, you know? And, you know, sometimes it's just somebody looking at you that, you know, can see from a different perspective and one little thing will make a huge difference. But if somebody really wants a lesson, yeah, we can probably make something work. 
Gotcha. And who would you say, is there anybody locally? You're in, you're in Ogden, right? Mm -hmm. Who's uh, I mean, that's, um, you're in like archery, uh, you know, it's literally like Missoula, Montana. If you dropped like a J dam bomb on that area of Salt Lake, Ogden, uh, Provo, it would take out like half of the archery world, um, including tournament archers coaching who there is a good coach. Like who there would you suggest, uh, for, for advice or, or, you know, guys looking to get into it. Is there anybody around you? Uh, we don't have a ton of dedicated coach. I mean, they do always call me at the shop if they just need advice or something like that. And I, I tend to help them out. But, um, you know, as far as coaching, I've got a, a local guy by the name of Lance Gibson at Gibson Archery. Um, and he's an amazing coach. He's kind of the one that started me out when I was a kid. Uh, we started doing like kids leagues and stuff like that up in Brigham City with him. And he was just kind of one of running that and stuff. But he got me up and running into the target archery stuff and things like that. Um, so I send a ton of people his way, especially like beginners and kids and stuff. He's awesome for like getting them on the right track and, and setting them on their way, you know, but he kind of gets bombarded with a lot of guys too. Cause I send so many people his way, but, um, he's not like a full-time coach. He just does it after work game there. We don't really have anybody. I don't think anybody that's like a full, full-time archery coach. I can't think of anybody specific off the top of my head right now. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would say for, for most people, I mean, just go to your local shop and see who they recommend for coaching. You you do kind of got to be careful who you have teaching them because there are some people that claim to be coaches that aren't quite the very best coaches. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, just, just find some good shooters in, their, in your area and maybe see where they learned from and, and stuff like that. But as far as around here, yeah, I mean, I, I'm super happy to help people out or always or help people out or, uh, or I send them over to Lance if he takes care of them. Gotcha. And when in doubt, um, make sure if you have any archery questions, message Tim Gillingham, tell him I sent you, uh, make sure and mention that. And he's more than happy to help anyone out. Um, it's him, T I M Gillingham, G I L L I N G H A M. Uh, he's on Instagram. Load that inbox up uh, with archery questions. He's, he loves helping people. <laughs> <laughs> he'll definitely give you his opinion and usually it's for the most part it's right oh yeah he uh yeah he is a wealth of knowledge i just like giving him crap because he likes giving me crap but uh tim's amazing archer uh <laughs> the guy's done just about everything it's not uncommon to see 77 inches of stabilizer hanging off his bow or something michael jackson glove but you can't really make fun of him the dude can shoot i mean you can in in my case i'll chop him down like a tree but that dude can shoot and he is funny. Like I know, I know you guys travel together. He had me, we elk hunted once and he had me laughing so hard on the side of a mountain. The dude has like no like uh, metering button for hiking speed. When he took off <laughs> the first morning, you know, I don't get out hiked very often and he took off and I looked back at the other dude we were with a, a guy named Doug Ross. And I'm like, I can't, I can't walk that fast. But then Tim, like 200 yards up, was laying on the side of the trail trying to catch his breath. I'm like, oh. And then I, he, I, did he tell you this? Yeah. He had the bright idea of trying to race me up the side of a mountain at like 13,000 feet. <laughs> he might have told me a long time ago. I can't remember the whole story. Oh, man. I thought he was going to die. His whites of his eyes rolled to the back of his head. I'm like, Tim, I live here. Like, this is what I do. <laughs> I, I, he's, a, he's hilarious. Mm. I love Tim, but... Mm. 
anyhow, uh, well, I've got some stories. You have to ask me off the podcast. I got plenty of stories for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet, man. He's a, he's a hoot, but, um, so, uh, like right at the end, name of the archery shop you've got before I get you off here, your hunting bow, your tournament bow. Um, and, uh, if you've got a, a phone number at the shop or whatever, for they can get a hold of you before, before I let you go. Yeah. So the shop's called Douglas Archery. Um, we're down here in Ogden, Utah. Phone number for the shop is going to be 801-513-0751. Uh, we do have like Facebook and Instagram page and not super into the social media, but we're, we're going to try and up that a little bit. Um, and then as far as for me, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, um, just under, uh, well, Facebook is like Kyle Douglas and Kyle Douglas professional archer. And then, um, should be under Kyle Douglas on Instagram. Um, and as far as bows go, I'm running the, uh, for tournaments, I'm shooting the PSD citation 36 with the SE cam on there. Um, and then for hunt member on the, uh, the Evo XF 33 this year with the S2 cam on a small one. Gotcha. Well, man, I, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast. I talked to you more, but I, I actually got to build a doghouse for my wife kills me. Um, but man, super accomplished tournament <laughs> archer, super accomplished hunter and, uh, man, anything I can help you with, you can get a, get a hold of me anytime. Thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, good luck with the rest of the tournament season and, and uh, hunting season. And uh, yeah, we'll get you on again, man. Thank you. Sounds good.